Welcome to the Turfgrass Hotline. I'm Frank Rossi. Turfgrass Hotline is brought to you by our partners at Dryject, the only machine that aerates top dresses and amends all in one pass. Intelligro, makers of Civitas, a fungicide that's so much more. And the Plant Food Company, developing professional nutrient management programs since 1946. It's a typical start to the growing season in the Southeast United States, and it's filled with pathogens and stress, as Lee Butler from NC State is about to tell us. Keeping your plants healthy starts with being sure it's properly fed. And when you're thinking of feeding your plants, the Plant Food Company has cost-effective solutions to your nutrient management needs from science-based recommendations established at dozens of universities. For more information, contact your local plant food representative or go to plantfoodco.com. Welcome to the Turfgrass Hotline, Lee Butler. For the very first time, the director of the diagnostic lab down there at NC State University, working in a place with a long history of pathology research and extension, really one of the great turfgrass programs in the country, Lee. So pleased that you could take some time to join us on the Turfgrass Hotline. And I'm wondering what it's been like with a very warm, wet start to the season and being closed. Normally, you'd have a good pulse on what's going on because people would be sending samples in. Did it feel weird after a long time not to have those uh, samples to look at in the early part of the year? Thanks for having me, Frank. Yeah, it's been very strange. I went through and and crunched some numbers uh, for you. We closed on March the 16th, and then we reopened, limited reopening on May 5th. So we were closed for seven weeks. During that time period, we missed out on about 14% of the samples we would receive for the year. Uh, and it was at a critical time of the year uh, when a lot of the Remita grass was kind of getting going. So that, that was probably the biggest chunk of samples we missed out on were the uh, ultra dwarf Remita grass putting greens. And so what would they be struggling with? Would it be spring dead spot or what would they be struggling with in the early season as they're trying to wake up the champion Tifigal greens? Yeah, so it's it's uh, take all root rot, mm. uh, spring dead spot, mm. some pythium root rot, mm. nematodes that are carrying over from the previous year, cream leaf blight, which is kind of minor and cosmetic, but wow. still causes issues. Huh. I'm interested to hear you say nematodes. Now, certainly nematodes in your neck of the woods, Lee, are a lot more common than they are where I am. But uh, I have this sarcastic view that you can help me clear up. Did we develop widespread nematode problems after the two large chemical companies developed really good nematicides? Did sample numbers uh, begin to go up once those were happening? Or do we have primary problems with nematodes in your neck of the woods? I think it's it's more complex than any one single thing. Mm -hmm. It it could very well be a combination of all that. You know, management practices have changed a lot, Mm -hmm. as we all know. We're managing these services a lot different, but they've always been there. I mean, they're, <laughs> they're the most abundant animal on earth. That's right? correct. Have they become any more virulent over the last uh, several years? No, that I don't know. We've got to we got to tap Billy Crow for that one. Though. <laughs> <laughs> I do know that I see them more frequently. So on, on my end, just to be clear, we, we don't offer nematode assays. We're strictly disease diagnostics. However, I'll, I'll still see them, and it's obvious when root systems are severely damaged. Mm-hmm. Uh, in particular, I can see root knot nematodes because uh, the females are attached to the roots and they're extremely easy to see. Mm-hmm. We will document those. Mm-hmm. Over the 15 years that I've been doing the diagnostics part, uh, I've seen more and more root knot nematode samples. Mm-hmm. 
you know, and the other thing is, like, you know, I don't know how much of it's the the change in chemistry where we've gone away from, you know, some of the older yes. products that we used to have yeah. that, that I, you know, that we all used to consider like nuclear bombs. <laughs> That's correct. <laughs> Thankfully, we have products that work pretty well now to replace those. But, you know, the things have changed a lot. That's right. But what hasn't changed is the plethora of root pathogens. And you described uh, take all and patch early on uh, that you'd get in, in the Bermuda. You didn't get to see it. Uh, are you starting to get samples now that are indicating to you it was widespread and now we're starting to sort of grow out of it or get a little bit better? Do you have some sort of forensic look back at those 14% of the samples to say, hey, maybe it wasn't a bad take all year because it was warm and wet? Yeah. So since we reopened on May 5th, we've received 42% of our samples for the year. So since we reopened the doors, we've been flooded with samples. <laughs> it's interesting. It's been a lot of fairy ring. Huh. Now, I think part of that, if, if folks follow me on Twitter, the, the pictures of the fairy ring fungus, yeah, I saw that. joy and interest. So a lot of people were sending samples in wanting to know how deep their fairy ring is. Huh. There've been plenty of take all root rot samples coming in. Take-all root rod in Bermuda grass is different than take-all patch in creeping bent grass. But we have seen a fair amount of those. Also, uh, we've had a fair amount of rain this spring, and it's been kind of on the cooler side, if you will. Mm. So uh, there's been plenty of pythium root rod as well. Uh, And you hit the nail right on the head. I mean, when you look at our sample reports every year, Mm. people rarely send me easy stuff like dollar spot or uh, brown patch. (laughs) It's, it's the soulborn stuff. Yeah. It's pythium root rod. It's summer patch. Right. It's take all root rod. You know, well, and you had a very interesting, uh, you wrote an article not long ago about Ascochyta leaf blight, right? I mean, we, yeah. we're seeing these weird uh, leaf pathogens too. Uh, we've noticed this odd resurgence in cool season turf lee of red thread. Yeah. Red thread would used to be thought of as, oh, it's low fertility. Don't worry. It'll grow out of it. I see red thread taking out large stands of grass. And so I look at you diagnostic labs as like the first responders, the early detectors, uh, much like the pandemic. You guys see things before they become widespread. Red thread's been one of those stories. What's the story with Ascochyta? So I don't know why why it's become a thing, but I have diagnosed it a handful of times over the past several years. They do tend to be very limited, isolated cases. But there have been several times where it's pretty devastating. I mean, I've, I've seen some severe damage to tall fescue, mm. even on some of our mountain golf courses mm. in western North Carolina, uh, where they have uh, cool season blends planted in roughs and around tee box complexes. Uh, I've seen some really severe damage. And the best part is, is when you say, oh, yeah, you know, that's this is Ascochyta. And you know, their first response is As- Asco what? Asco what? <laughs> <laughs> you know, people have never heard of that one. It's like, you know, they think I'm making it up. That's like. exactly right. Well, now that the weather is transitioning, Bankgrass had the advantage maybe early on, and now the heat is starting to build. And no one that grows Bankgrass likes the words hot and wet in the same sentence. Have you begun to see certainly the pythium root rots, I would suspect, early but you also have problems with a variety of other diseases on bentgrass, like anthracnose, because of the stress and the play. And one more, you know, gasoline for the fire, they're playing golf like crazy. You know, you're, you're making up on samples. We got six out there with six carts. People are telling me every day is a tournament day. They're 200 rounds. They've, 
never seen it like this. And so what's happening in the transition to Bankgrass? Are we seeing other problems? Yeah, so I, you, you pretty much hit it all there. So it's it's uh, definitely been been seeing anthracnose. Pythium root rot samples are starting to roll in, uh, but also seeing a fair amount of black layer. Ooh. It seems that people overlook that a little bit. I don't know why, but when we have these prolonged wet periods and if your organic matter thatch layer is built up and you haven't been getting your airification events in like you want to, uh, and you get those anaerobic conditions. I see a lot of uh, bent grass samples where the root systems are just completely depleted, you know, due to anaerobic conditions, you know, just straight pure uh, abiotic. So how far conditions. down is that black layer, Lee? Because, gosh, you know and I know there's nothing that a superintendent likes, whether they're in Carolina, New York, Minnesota, or California, they're making a hole in the ground <laughs> and, and, <laughs> yeah. and, and, and stuffing some sand in it. So uh, right. is this unique to bentgrass greens or uh, does it also occur on uh, ultra dwarf greens, the black layer problem? Yeah, we see it on all. You do. We see them on all of them. And it tends to be about an inch or two down, pretty much right where the organic matter is, is where the, when it gets real severe and you see the textbook black band. But, you know, you don't always get that textbook black band. Sometimes the roots will be black or you'll see um, like little veins of, of uh, black layer. Uh, and then it's the smell. You know, it's it's amazing how many samples I diagnose with my nose before I use my eyes. That's so interesting. You know, you'd think that after all these years of all the cultivation devices and that organic layer, you know, it would be a little bit more understandable if it maybe was past the four inch mark where guys are not used to really impacting. But right. I'm at a loss to understand why, you know, are they bad mixes? Are they overgrowing the bent grass? Is there a common thread as to why uh, this organic matter is building up and causing this problem, Lee, that's, gosh, is as old as Lee Burnt? <laughs> I mean, Lee, yeah. you know, Lee studied that in graduate school and Lee's wearing suspenders. Yeah, I know, right? So, I mean, what is going on here if you wouldn't mind speculating on it? I, I don't know. It's the ones I see the worst tend to be lower end clubs that either they can't afford to do the cultural practices like they need to. Uh, or the uh, ownership doesn't want them doing it. You know, I, I don't know. It, it just, they're not getting it done for whatever reason. Most places that, that are doing really good with their top dressing and they're getting their airification events in, whatever that may be, whether it's pulling a core or dry ejecting. Mm -hmm. You know, we're seeing a lot of guys here in the Carolinas that are, that are starting to do a lot of dry ejecting. Yeah, yeah. We love that technique. Not as disruptive, getting the sand in the ground. Yes. And, and so, you know, there's no good answer for it. I do think it's growing a little bit more grass than you need that we get this organic matter level. Right. And, you know, here's the problem that you and I know. It's not easy to fix these root problems. I mean, if you're getting many of these root pathogens to a severe degree, wouldn't you say it's usually related to you don't have a good place to grow the roots, to, that the root zone is generally not functioning well? Or do you see these root problems even in well-functioning root zones. So I, I think it's a combination. One is, is the growing environment, mm -hmm. just like you mentioned. So in, in that rhizosphere or whatever you want to call it, that the roots are not growing optimally. The other part of that equation is, you know, based on recent work we've done about moving the fungicide there. Yeah. Uh, it, it's really hard. You know, these fungicides bind tightly to organic matter. So, you know, we've, we've done that work and it's hard to move these fungicides down through that stuff That's right. to get it on target. Uh, and that's a big part of it. You know, these fungicides are fantastic. They're, they are really good against uh, these fungi. Th these companies develop fantastic yes. products. You know, and when we do in vitro, in a Petri dish, if you will, where we do it in direct exposure, 
you know, it's lights out on these fun jobs. But when you put that barrier between you and them, you know, it's like they're standing behind a concrete wall and, and, you know, we're throwing rocks at them. But it's delivering the material, right? The issue is delivering the material. And I have to say the work that you guys have done that I've tried to amplify in some of my writings. I've talked to Jim about it. I talk to every pathologist I can get with to talk about it because I think most people are astounded at the amount of water they need to apply to get it to just move an inch and a half into the root zone. Yes. And if we're bragging about bent grass with roots to the bottom of the cup, yeah, good luck trying to protect roots past, I don't know, Lee, I see it difficult to protect roots regularly past two to three inches based on what I see you guys doing. What do you think? That's correct. You know, for us down here, once you get into this time of year, uh, June, July, and August, you're managing the top two inches. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it is it is what it is. And, and, you know, and I think, you know, you get used to it from that perspective. But on the other hand, when I look at your reports, one of the things that's very interesting is these varieties that you send in. And especially in the bent grass, and, and I don't know the Bermudas as well, so you might have to school me a little bit there. But if I talk to bent grass, you got 50% of your samples from A1, A4, and dominant plus greens. And you've got a smattering of other ones. Yep. And I'm wondering, in the years you've been doing this, obviously the species have shifted, but I'm wondering, are we really seeing some of the benefits of these new cultivars you know, when you get samples in for the kinds of problems you're seeing, because, you know, we're recommending people go to Pure Distinction and try different ones, you know, the, the dollar spot resistant materials. Are you seeing varieties in the bentgrass area make a difference at all? Uh, I don't think so. Now, you know, obviously, when you compare these these newer ones to something like Pencross, that's completely different growth habits that's right. and canopy architecture. That's got to play a role, right? Right. And when we see that in tall fescue, you know, Kentucky 31 is actually one of the best brown patch tolerant fescues when you compare it to the turf types, you know, completely different canopy structure. And I'm sure the same thing is going on with, with bent grass and, these, you know, these different uh, varieties and the, the amount of organic matter they, they accumulate compared to another is different, I'm sure. I'm sure that all plays a role. Do you see, you know, you're getting samples from all over the country, but I'm really fascinated. You get... 81% of your samples from the Southeast, I believe, or 60% of the bentgrass samples come from the Southeast. So, you know, people don't realize, you know, there's elevated areas in North Carolina, upstate South Carolina, yes. right? So you can grow cool season grasses there. But are you seeing more ultra dwarf Bermuda grasses begin to dominate just about every place where bentgrass used to be there? Yeah, for sure. So for folks that they're listening that don't know much about North Carolina, uh, we have three distinct regions, the mountains, the Piedmont and the coastal plain. So once you get in the mountains, you know, you're talking two to 3000 feet plus in elevation and you go to golf courses that are wall to wall bent grass. Right. So that's still all bent grass. Uh, or <laughs> bent grass and polo. Right. But once you get down into the Piedmont and to the coast, it's a lot of ultra dwarf Bermuda grass. Bent, bent grass greens are, are disappearing very fast. That all started in about 2011, 2012 is when the big wave came. You know, here in Raleigh, in this area, there's only a handful of courses left that are bent grass. There's not many, yeah. two or three or four, maybe at most. Yeah. Most of them have switched over to ultra dwarf Bermuda grass. And you can understand why. I mean, when you when you're getting warm and wet, uh, you know, you guys have been warm for a number of years above normal. 
Uh, I'm sure that the samples are going to keep plowing in, but it doesn't look like uh, I remember Bruce Martin telling me many, many years ago when the Ultra Dwarfs first started to come online in that neck of the woods, he basically said, I don't know if he said these words exactly, but he essentially said, listen, these Ultra Dwarfs saved my career. These things get every disease you can imagine, and we've just started to come to understand that. So I've been very curious to see that happen. I get the, I'll take it as an affirmation that I got a good chuckle, but I also see, Lee, as we wrap up, yes. people have to send their samples to different places. Let's take a minute and talk about the logistics of the lab. You're accepting samples. They can go to the NC Turf Pathology website for that. But why don't you just remind the viewers uh, where they can send samples and how it's different than maybe what they've done in the past. Yeah, so uh, just like I said, if, if you go to our website, uh, everything's there. Right now, we're only accepting samples uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. It's, it's pretty easy. Everything's online. The biggest thing is, as we started this last year, is we now require photos with our submissions. Oh, nice. It just, just makes a huge difference when I can see what you see, right? Mm -hmm. And it, it increases accuracy uh, a lot because if anybody's ever looked under a microscope, it'll scare you to death at the amount of things you see. So, you know, d diagnosing diseases is more than just looking under a microscope. Exactly right. and we preach this all the time. It's exactly right. you got to also take symptoms into account That's exactly right. and time of year and all that stuff. But everything's there. The address is there. The other thing that we uh, require is uh, we do like to have a tracking number mm -hmm. because things are still kind of wonky on campus with deliveries. So that way we can know when it was delivered, where it was delivered. And we had there have been some packages lost unfortunately. <laughs> but for the most part, things are making their way to us uh, and everything's working pretty smooth, actually, great. given the conditions that we're in. Yeah. And it's so great for you to take the time to chat with me, Lee. I wish you guys a lot of luck this summer with your virtual field days and all the ways we're adapting uh, to make this work. We're I, I'm so pleased to hear you say the difference between looking under a microscope, telling you what's there versus diagnosing a problem. I don't think people realize the sort of artistry a bit involved in making that decision. In addition to a picture, the two or three pages of what's been applied or done to the plots uh, is also good to know as well. Right, Lee? That's correct. Absolutely correct. That's good. So listen, thanks for joining me and best of luck for the rest of the season. I'll talk to you again in a month. All right. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Lee. You too. Thanks. Butler is a graduate of the NC State Turfgrass Management Program and manages the Turf Diagnostic Lab at NC State. And he's remaining active in the Turf Pathology Field Research Program. This allows him to work with turfgrass managers to develop effective disease management plans based on his knowledge of current disease activity and observations made in the fungicide efficacy trials. He's an active instructor in the program and researcher as well as an extension educator in the great NC State Turfgrass team. Lee takes samples from all over and you can get more information at turfpathology.com. The Turfgrass Hotline is brought to you by our friends at Dryjack, the only machine that aerates top dresses and amends in one pass. Intelligro, makers of Civitas, a fungicide that's so much more, and the plant food company developing professional nutrient management programs since 1946. The Turfgrass Hotline is recorded and produced at Rep Studios in downtown Ithaca, New York by Nate Richardson. Big thanks to marketing and business management John Kiger and executive producer Peter McCormick. I'm Frank Rossi. Thank you for joining me.